Hi everyone, welcome to this latest edition of Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Seen and Heard. This is another one of our break feeds, the short podcasts. We're doing a series here on, on bull farming as part of the Red Meat Profit Partnership Project. Um, Alliance Group Limited have been working with uh, one farmer and a few others around information for farmers on farming bulls. So I'm joined today by Richard Plunkett, who farms near Omaru, and we'll talk a bit about Richard's operation shortly, and also Bob Thompson from Ag First. Bob, you're, where are you based now, Hamilton? Yes, based on the mighty yep. Waikato. Still cover yep. a bit of the North Island? We get up there yep. from time to time, but, yep. yep. Yep, and so some of you may have heard, we've done an earlier podcast with Bob, but Bob's down here, we're actually in Omaru at the moment, um, brought him down to talk to a couple of groups here because of his... Um, Specialist knowledge and experience and expertise in all things cattle farming, but especially around bull farming. Um, and Richard, what, tell us a bit about your farm. How large, what you're running at the moment? Um, so we have 440 hectares. Um, 180 of that is irrigated by predominantly kaline. I did change um, sub 30 hectares of kaline down on some flatter area to fixed grid um, and running bulls, Frisian bulls under that system. So basically we have 300, 300 bulls a year going out, finished. Uh, try to finish them as 18 months. Have to winter some the second time. Um, and yeah, run a few sheep and Hereford cows. And um, We also have a dairy farm, 420 cows, predominantly Frisian, 95% or so Frisian, so we source all our Majority of our stock from the dairy farm, we do buy 100, 100 um, bull calves in at 100 k's okay. to supplement. So Richard's touched on a number of things we're going to cover here. There's probably um, four or five podcasts we're going to have and release in a series, and they'll be accompanied by a series of videos as well, which should be up and online soon, just talking about what Richard's been up to. But we're talking beforehand, Richard, you've always had bulls on the farm, or the family's always had bulls, but... Um, you've made some significant changes. Maybe just in a nutshell, give us a, over the last three or four years as part of the RMPP process. What did you want to look at, and, and what have you sort of done generally before we get into specifics? Um, so always had the bulls, but I did the rough calculations, um, what they were making me per week. Um, I could see the potential in them, so I wanted to, I wanted to have more. Um, so mm-hmm. with the RMPP project, I. Um, pestered um, Shona from Alliance to take me um, up to the North Island and show me how the how the the real bull farmers do it up <laughs> there, as, as I could say, because down the South Island there's not there's nowhere near the same intensity as what the North Island is. So um, after going up there, I took pieces out of everybody's systems and created my own, basically with by fixed gridding and not running a techno system, it's sort of a more of a loose sale system, I'd say, running. Cool. All right, so the price Richard has to pay for that opportunity he's had is um, share that information, share his journey, do these videos and do this podcast so that um, those of you out there listening can can pick up some of the, the, the things he's learned and the lessons he's learned. And that's also why we've got Bob here, because um, Bob's seen how it works well and when it might not work so well. But one of the things we were talking about, Bob, beforehand too, is it's, it's bulls can be fairly polarising, but the decision isn't a, a black and white one, no pun intended. It's, there's a lot to take into account. Um, you're a, I know you're a fan of them, but you're also well aware, you know, there's a lot of things people take into account. We're going to talk in some detail, but 
maybe if you could give a snapshot of what we were just talking about, you the things you people need to be aware of before mm. they make the decision. Yeah, so I perhaps at the outset just to say I've come to be a fan of bulls perhaps because of their profitability. Yep. Um, and so um, I'm thinking that if you are considering bull farming, you should actually take a whole farm approach. Mm. So have a strategic review of your farm, understand about mm. what your current policies are delivering for you. Farmax is a great way of um, working through that process. Mm -hmm. But it's important to know what your goals and aspirations are, um, what is best land use, um, and uh, it's not every farm that can run big cattle, for example. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand your soils and their capability and, uh, and match your stock policies mm -hmm. up against that. And so that should be like underpin mm -hmm. your decision-making process. And, um, you know, um, the land and environment plans are much talked about, um, but we tend to talk about them in a regulatory context, and I'd like to strongly suggest the best value from land and environment plans come through business planning mm -hmm. and just understanding about best land use. So with that as a background and understanding about the farmer's goals and aspirations, then you start considering about what policy choices there yep. might be. Now bulls come into the mix because it just happens that they are profitable, relatively mm -hmm. speaking. And so that's the, that is the, the basis, I guess, upon which yep. people make decisions around bulls. And it's just a matter then of determining for your land, are you going to farm R1 bulls, take them through just one winter and sell the store, uh, take them through one winter and, and, and kill them on a fast growth track uh, profile, mm -hmm. as some of these uh, Omaru farmers we learnt yesterday are doing, um, or take them on a two-winter journey mm -hmm. and then be killing them uh, you know, around that 27, 28. Uh, months of age. So there are all those sorts of options to consider as yep. you go into bulls. And then I guess the, piece, the other bit is that people often say, well why are bulls so profitable um, relative to um, steers and heifers? And I think probably we just need to remind ourselves that mm -hmm. um, they are more profitable because bulls grow faster than steers. So mm -hmm. if you take the same breed type and everything else is equal, they'll grow 10% faster than steers and in turn steers will grow 10% faster yep. than heifers. But then add to that their efficiency, their feed mm. conversion efficiency, and um, they convert in more of what they eat to lean growth rather than finish. Mm. And so we get this double whammy effect and, uh, and, and, and so then we end up with about a 20% advantage over uh, steers mm. just because of those sorts of things. I should hasten also to add that Frisians, genetically speaking, for growth, are yep. up there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just like Angus and Hereford and others, they've been Americanised too. And so there's a lot of growth in uh, straight Frisian uh, bulls, and yep. that's why there's a preference for, for them as well. Mm -hmm. The so-called five white, point, five yep. white points, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yep. So we're going to drill into some of that, but I want to come at you started right at the start with sort of the landed environment plan and that whole environment type issue that what are the things in terms of, so there's the, the, the one winter, two winter issue, but starting out, if people are looking at their farm to seeing whether their farm or part of their farm is suitable for bulls, what are the key things they want to look at first? Uh, good question. So <clears throat> um, when you do a, a, you know, a, a high level uh, land and environment plan, mm -hmm. I'm talking a level three on yep. the beef and lamb um, mm -hmm. uh, spectrum, 
Um, you're now talking about understanding your soils, and that's underpinned with land use capability. Uh-huh. And so you know um, what you can run on those soils and on those contours. And so if you've got land that is suited to running cattle, yep. um, and, and it's not pug prone, then you probably, you know, you've got a wide scope in terms of what you can do. Slope, of course, is something to mm. bring into account. We can't farm them on the side of 25 degrees and mm-hmm. stuff, although some have with smaller ones. <laughs> um, so, you know, I guess those are the core things yep. around land. And then it's just about setting up your systems. Um, so Richard, have you, uh, with what you've learned in the last few years going through this process versus what you'd always, have you changed where you put the bulls on your place or have you, or did your farm just naturally lend itself to running bulls? Uh, it's naturally lend itself yep. to running bulls. Yep, so your soils I and your do, slope. And I do have to be careful, um, especially when it gets wet, mm-hmm. put on wet periods. Yep. Um, just the damage I can, I can do, so I will shift them off. Yep. But generally speaking, we don't have too many of those events mm. so the other one so if we're talking basically a triple bottom line we've got the environment the farm itself we've got the the financial bottom line what the money they make and the reasons they make that money which bob has touched on the third one is the you know we can call it the social aspect some people like bulls and some people don't some people think they won't like bulls um i'm going to come back to you bob because i know you've got some examples but what do you think of bulls richard um no i think they're great yep you just don't take any nonsense with them. Mm. You educate them. Yep. Um, and because you're dealing with them on a daily basis mm. or every second day, they know the routine and they, yep. yeah, they behave themselves. And are some of the things you've picked up over the last couple of years that we're going to talk about here, have they made that easier dealing with, you know, the behavioural issues, the, the, the risk, the, the damage and those sorts of things? Have you, what you've changed, has that actually made it even yes, better, easier yes, to work with? Yes, it has, yeah. Okay. They used to be in long narrow strips, <clears throat> but now they're in um, they're sort of a, a more rectangle yep. block, and behaviour has changed quite dramatically because of that. Okay, Bob, I know you're keen on this one. I mean, it's not just a bottom line decision for people in terms of the, the gross margin or the per kilogram dry matter grown or per hectare uh, carcass production type thing, but um, what are some of the reasons people give you why they don't want to farm bulls and that may be the right decision for them, but in some cases, yeah. How can they, well, you don't want to force people to change their mind, but what are some of the things you've talked through with people to ex- explain some of the things that they say they don't want bulls for are not necessarily a, a, a reasonable reason? So I come back to that strategic business review again, mm-hmm. just understanding what it is that you're trying to get from your farm business. And oftentimes there's a needs must. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a financial imperative uh, that sits around mortgage and Mm-hmm. And, um, and stuff like that. But um, um, it's interesting that if I think back over time, I've seen farmers that should be farming bulls mm-hmm. that don't, and vice versa. Some have gone farming bulls and really hadn't thought the thing yep. through. And so you need to be a quite thoughtful about it, I believe, as you start. Um, but the thing with bulls is some social pressure that can mm. come to bear too. You're not farming filthy Frisians, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and yep. so we have we have that context. But yeah, there's generally there's a community of bull farmers that mm. um, will support and build and grow each other, and and and, and you know they're interesting um, discussions. Yep. They tend to be a lot more objective, and it'd be quite quite interesting just to brush through some of the policy differences. And mm-hmm. so when we look at bulls, we find that. 
um, generally it's more objective approaches taken mm. by buying and selling them and the way in which they farmed. Mm -hmm. um, and we tend to be a little more relaxed and conservative and um, a little more old school in our thinking around more traditional farming. Mm. Yep. And, and it's interesting, it spills over into the sale yards and the bottom line really when we're farming cattle is, all things being equal, is numbers per hectare times margin per head equals mm -hmm. profit per hectare. That's yep. the simple Simon equation. But we often forget that and we just think about profit per head, um, forget about mm. numbers per hectare or vice versa. And uh, what tends to happen is that um, prime finishers uh, tend to be a little bit more extravagant in the way they purchase their animals mm -hmm. and in the process they row their margins. And that's another reason why bulls tend to be a little more profitable. And it was interesting, last year, uh, last season, we saw up to an 80 cent difference between prime and bull mm -hmm. at 300 kilo carcass level. And Richard, you'll remember that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> now, you know, immediately the alarm bell started to ring and you think we're eroding our bull profit, what's happening? But when we went back and looked at margins, mm. we found that the margins were pre preserved and of course the stocking rate had already been determined and so profit was preserved. And so there's quite mm. a lot more realism, I think, around uh, bull mm. farmers than, than perhaps more traditional farmers. And I'm not knocking more traditional farming, I'm just saying that is an observation. Yeah, it's an, I actually remember, it's a while back now, I remember at Lincoln them telling us in a lecture that farmers fall in love with their beef cows, but I don't think many farmers fall in love with bulls no, they per don't. se. They fall in love with the bottom <laughs> what they do. But yeah. yeah. All right, hey, look, we are going to drill into some of this a wee bit more, but you've got a, you want to get on to systems? You hold, is that a, you're holding up a flash card. <laughs> no. uh, one of the things I did no. want to, you touched on it earlier around the, you know, some, and I think you've heard you did, some are a per head type system and some are a per hectare more. Yeah. Fast growth rate per head, get them off before the second yeah. winter mm. versus quite a high stocking yeah. rate, carrying them through mm. two winters and so on. Mm. And obviously the environment's going to take part in that. What else is there in terms of, or well, expand on that and what else is there to cover? So, you know, yesterday we were talking to a group of farmers and, and I was encouraging them to think about um, decisions in a whole farm context mm -hmm. rather than just on an individual decision basis. And, and, um, and I guess I would just leave it at that mm -hmm. and just saying you, 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 know, you need to be thoughtful about, if you're going to go on a um, one winter system, mm -hmm. you just need to be thoughtful how that works. I mean, you're selling into um, um, a difficult market mm -hmm. uh, where you know, the cold cows are coming through and your price is depressed and stuff, but mm -hmm. you've got an amazingly efficient um, mm. system. But what can happen is your feed demand uh, works its way through into mining your autumn covers mm -hmm. which in turn then can impact on your winter carrying capacity yep. and so it's just not a, a flick of the fingers type decision. I think mm. it's, again it comes back to that whole farm decision making yep. process. But the other thing about bulls is um, it causes you to farm cattle in smaller mobs mm -hmm. and I think this is a real key point about bulls. And we, we've learned over time that you don't really want to run more than 50 little bulls, like R1 bulls, across winter mm -hmm. in a mob. And for R2 bulls, the maximum, we think, is 30. Now, this is farmer mm -hmm. experience talking, not me. This is farmers yep. with their, just their mm -hmm. practical experience. Now, some will run them in bigger mobs. Mm -hmm. But the thing with bulls, you know, the hierarchical mm. ranking type thing that's going on is much more obvious yep. than it is with steers and heifers. And so we tend to run them in smaller mobs, mm. which means then we need more paddocks. 
Then we start to think about how do you get more paddocks mm. and of course electric fencing comes in because that's the most affordable way to do it. Then we get a little bit more thoughtful about rotation lengths and stuff like that. And so it builds into um, uh, rotation mm. lengths and you know, how long does it take to grow back the cover and stuff like that. And then that leads us into systemisation. Mm. So what you're almost saying in a way we're making a virtue of a necessity there. We need to run them in small bobs because otherwise the things go yeah. ballistic. But that has in turn led to better grazing management, yes, increased subdivision rotations exactly and those right. sorts of things. Mm. But uh, not exactly an analogy, but a bit, uh, sheep and beef farmers often talk about how they envy dairy farmers having the vet every day to know, you know an immediate yeah. measure of how <laughs> they're going. So. Slightly the same. Um, we, I might, um, unless you've got, an, you can't see this here in podcast world, but Bob's got a heap of notes, and every so often he's waving one at me to try and get my attention and make sure I cover <laughs> something. But we are going to keep going. I might wrap up this one, which is our introduction one, unless yeah. Bob's got something really pressing. Just go going back to Richard. I mean, Richard, um, your experience. If, if you're wrapping it up and what you've learned over the last few years, we're going to get into detail around tactics. But you know, the three or four things that are top of your mind that you'd tell others maybe that are starting out on the bull farming journey or thinking about either not farming bulls or about to start it. What are the, the probably the three most important things you've learned? Well, it's basically reinforcing what Bob, Bob would say. You've know, you got to look at the, your whole farm and uh, work out your plan from there. It's, it's, it is a commitment and you've mm-hmm. got to... You know, once you're in it, well, you, get, you, you want to stick with it. Um, but no, I think... Well, I think they're great. Yep. All right. Yeah. And on that point, Bob, unless you've got something really pressing you want to throw in, because we are going to come back to some other subjects yeah. shortly, we might wrap up this first podcast, which was just a bit of an introduction, some of the background. But as I say, there's going to be three or four others talking around some of the specifics in day-to-day management or, or overall uh, business management of the farm. So we'll be back shortly. <laughs>